This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. I'm Martin Strong, and this is Vancouver Consumer. Coming up, it's recycling, how you can play a part in keeping literally billions of drink containers, uh, also electronics, out of the landfill, and go to returnit.ca to find out how you can help. But first, it's some of the consumer news headlines from the past week. The rising cost of putting a roof over our heads has been a big issue in this election. So how do the candidates stack up when it comes to their ideas on how Housing affordability. The gener- Generation Squeeze Research Lab at UBC has been analyzing all of the housing promises by all the parties and found that none are proposing to do enough. Paul Kershaw says the group has identified 15 separate actions that government would need to take in order to restore housing affordability for all. While no party offers the complete package, Kershaw says the Liberals' plan is the most comprehensive, delivering on two-thirds of the action items. The Greens and NDP both come through on third, with the emphasis being on emphasis being on delivering not-for-profit housing. The Conservatives are promising action on one quarter with a focus on addressing issues in the market. Some of those actions include protecting and upgrading existing older homes, creating new supply, and even lowering taxes on income while increasing taxes on real estate windfalls. And cooling off the hot housing market in regions like the Lower Mainland is something Kershaw says can't be ignored. And just as we've heard with uh, in the last hour with John Carlson uh, johnnysmartpoint.com. It's all about the lack of supply. They need to create more supply in the market because it's that lack of supply that's uh, helping to push the price of homes in the lower mainland all the way higher. And it looks like it's a lot cheaper to have a heart attack than it is to have COVID-19. According to a new report, the cost of treating a COVID-19 patient who needs intensive care in Canada is estimated at over $50,000 compared with $8,400 for someone who's had a heart attack. Data from the Canadian Institute for Health Information shows the cost for patients being treated for COVID-19, including those who don't need intensive care averages out, to more than $23,000, which is four times higher than a patient who has just regular old influenza. And a popular and raunchy Vancouver statue has been res-erected as NFT digital art. I'll tell you about the statue, but first, uh, if you don't know what NFT art is, I barely do. It's called, it stands for non-fungible token, an NFT. It's digital, sort of like a Bitcoin, or imagine a -a one-of-a-kind hockey card that you can't duplicate. Um, and, And some of these NFT artworks are being sold for millions of dollars. In this case, the piece of art is a statue of Satan sporting a very large erection. You might remember this stat, this statue, uh, Penis Satan, that's what it was dubbed by the media, uh, popped up in Vancouver near Clark Drive and Great Northern Way in 2014. The creator, an anonymous street artist who goes by the moniker Obsidian, put it up on his own without any permits or anything like that. The statue made international headlines with many people creating memes and tributes to the seven foot tall fiberglass 
figure. However, city staff removed the phallic devil a couple of days after. And uh, this artist said he was sad that they called it the penis Satan. He wanted to call it East Van Satan. So uh, if you Google it, you can find out how to buy it. He's selling uh, all sorts of different things. If you want to buy the actual thing, I think it's going for $2.6 million. Uh, that's uh, So there you go. Uh, this is Vancouver Consumer. And when we come back, it's all about recycling and how you can play a part in uh, getting stuff out of the landfill. And it's really easy with returnit.ca. And we'll tell you more when we come back on Vancouver Consumer. I'm Martin Strong. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. I'm Martin Strong. And every year, my guests right now play a huge role in keeping stuff out of our landfill around a billion drink containers every year, but that's not all. Uh, it's electronics as well, and all sorts of things you might not even know can be recycled. I'm here with Alan Langdon, President and CEO at Return It, and Craig Wisehart, Executive Director at EPRABC. Great. So let's talk. Um, Craig, you're kind of the electronics expert. Alan, you're sort of the the expert in uh, drink containers and beverages. And we're going to talk about all that stuff. But let's get started since it's it's back to school time. And uh, a lot of people are going to uh, Best Buy and Staples and buying brand new laptops. And there's all sorts of electronic equipment that's being tossed away. And Craig, um, how many electronic devices are recycled every year in BC? You know, literally millions. It's uh, it, it, it's it's you'd be amazed at how much electronics comes through our place. Last year, we did about fourteen thousand metric tons of electronics, and if you think about that in you know in terms of tractor trailer loads, uh, uh, that would be well over fourteen hundred tractor trailer loads of electronics that uh, that were recycled just in British Columbia last year. Wow. So, so do a lot of people still throw that stuff away in the garbage? I certainly hope not. <laughs> you know, I think there are, there, you're, you're always going to find the people that either don't know or, or simply won't. But, you know, British Columbians, I think, are very recycling-minded. And, uh, uh, you know, when you look at B.C. compared to some of the other provinces and certainly compared to the United States, our recycling rates here for electronics are really high. So, uh, you know, I, 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 I sort of tip my hat to the, uh, to the residents of British Columbia and say, yeah, there may be the odd thing that winds up in the, uh, in the landfill, but uh, a good part of it uh, does come back and, and is properly handled and recycled. And, and what kind of electronics? Because when you think of electronics, there's, there's laptops, but there's also chargers. There's a lot of different kind of materials. Uh, which devices can be recycled? And you kind of touched on it. I think, uh, I think everybody thinks of, oh, you know, PCs and, and television sets and printers are kind of the obvious ones. Uh, but it, it's a lot deeper than that. And, and you talk about the cords and the chargers, like anything associated with those products is also included. And so any of that, you know, keyboards and a mouse and any of that kind of stuff. Uh, but there's also, you know, sort of more, uh, I say obscure, but things people don't think about. Video gaming systems, uh, musical instruments, if they're electronic, uh, even medical devices like those uh, little blood pressure machines that are battery powered. Uh, pretty much anything with a cord and a battery is uh, is recyclable in British Columbia. 
Right. And returnit.ca is the, the place to go online to learn more about it. And, and where do people go to, to recycle this electronic stuff? So, yeah, you, you touched on it. It's just uh, returnit.ca uh, uh, electronics. And, uh, and then what you do is you just put your postal code in, and it'll bring up a list of, uh, of collection sites that are close to you. In most cases, uh, you know, in metropolitan areas, uh, you're, you're very likely to be five, ten minutes away. Uh, uh, and even, uh, like, we have over 300 locations in the province. So uh, uh, even smaller uh, towns and cities, uh, we're in... Kitwanga and Wass and places that you know many <laughs> British Columbians have never even heard of. Uh, we've got collections in some of those uh, some of those smaller locations. So yeah, it's uh, it's very convenient and uh, and important to do. We are here with the folks from Return It and EPRA. First thing I think think of is the the Return It.ca bottle in the commercials, the little cranky water bottle, and uh, <laughs> he seems he seems to be doing a good job because I see him everywhere, and uh, and and over a billion containers are recycled every year. So so good on you. Yeah, so I think there's a whole gang of them. There's a bottle, there's a cart, and a drink box. Uh, they've certainly been really popular. And, uh, you know, we now have stuffy versions of the characters. So the people that are doing a really good job recycling, recycling lots of containers are eligible to get them. And all of it's contributing to, yeah, a billion containers. And we want to, you know, continue to, to grow that and make sure that as many containers as possible are coming back into our system and being responsibly recycled. Yeah. So, so the, I mean, obviously it would be great to get to a hundred percent recycle. That's probably not realistic, but is the number going up every year of, of containers yeah, getting so we recycled? we had a bit of a, a rough patch during uh, the pandemic last year, um, just for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, with all the impacts, we had a number of our collection facilities or depots closed. Um, and, you know, it, it certainly changed consumer patterns. We might have been having people stock up on things like water bottles uh, that, you know, maybe they still haven't used or still haven't recycled. Uh, so that definitely had an impact on us uh, last year. But prior to that, we had been seeing steady growth in our recovery rate, and we're expecting to see that continue. And, and over the next three to four years, we're hoping to get that recovery up uh, somewhere to 82 or 83% uh, by 2024. Yeah, that's pretty good. So I, I, I don't know about everybody else, but I, I'm sort of, uh, I, I've gotten to the point where if I have a plastic bottle that gets thrown in the in the garbage i feel very uneasy it's like just kind of bothers me and so i i feel like i have to recycle it and i think most people are like that but the big question is uh, when you send it off when you put it in the recycle when you give it to uh, returnit.ca depot where does that bottle for example a plastic bottle where does that go and what happens to it yeah so all of the, the plastic bottles that uh, come into our collection system um, will eventually end up at a local processor, Merlin Plastics. Uh, so we've been really uh, lucky that over the last 26 years that we've been in operation, uh, that we've had a partner in Merlin that's been able to recycle all our plastic bottles here in BC. Uh, so we've never had to send any of that material overseas. Um, and that's good in two points. One is it's, it's better for the environment. It saves GHGs by not having to transport it anywhere. But also we've got um, greater oversight into making sure that that material is actually being uh, responsibly recycled. So that material will be uh, processed, which is, you know, a process that involves, you know, basically washing and then, and then um, melting it down and it'll turn it into tiny pellets. And then those pellets are sold uh, for a range of uses, but more and more uh, they're coming back to consumers in the form of recycled content. 
And a number of our large brand owners, beverage companies, have set some pretty aggressive targets of anywhere between 25 and 50% recycled content in the next few years. And so more and more of that material is coming back to them in the form of, uh, yeah, new bottles and new packaging. And I think most people think of plastic bottles as being recyclable, but what about um, some of the other containers, the things, you know, little Tetra packs? Uh, what are those things that are recyclable that maybe people don't know are and they need to kind of be educated about? Yeah, so, you know, just a, at a high level, you know, um, obviously aluminum cans, highly recyclable, and, and those are being recycled every year, um, primarily through some uh, smelters down in the United States. All our glass is actually collected, sorted here in BC, and then we um, send it down to a facility in Washington State where it could become new wine bottles. And then things for like gable top or tetra bag containers, um, those materials are often going to mills where they're um, being used as, you know, coming back in terms of tissue paper or toilet paper. So that's primarily the use. But our job is to not only make sure that we're collecting this material, but actually make sure that we've got sustainable end markets for it and that we can be sure that it's being responsibly recycled and coming back to consumers in another life. This is Vancouver Consumer. I'm Martin Strong. We're talking about recycling with the folks from returnit.ca. It's return-it.ca, but I, I checked, and if you just Google returnit.ca, it'll take you there. Um, uh, Alan Langdon and Craig Wisehart is with me. Craig, you're kind of the electronics expert, and uh, I was talking about uh, just now about drink containers that people might not know are recyclable, but are. What about electronics equipment? Um, what are some of the, the misconceptions about recycling electronics equipment? You know, it's, uh, it's interesting. I, I think you're probably a question I get asked most, and Alan touched on this a little bit uh, for, the, uh, for the beverage uh, part, uh, but really is, you know, what happens to this? Uh, I, you know, a lot of times I think the hesitancy to, to bring it back is, oh, it goes into a black box, but what really happens to it? And, uh, you know, for us, uh, uh, you bring it back to the Return It uh, Depot or any of our other authorized sites, and, and we sort of uh, amalgamate that stuff and, and take it from the, from the depot to a consolidation site, and then we ship truckloads to our, uh, our big uh, uh, recycling facilities. Uh, and the primary recyclers generally do a triage on that. They do some sorting and some disassembly. Uh, they they uh, shred some of the material. But what they basically do is just separate that stuff out into its core components, the metals, the glass, the plastics, uh, as, uh, as Alan alluded to earlier. And then that's turned around and put back into the supply chain. Uh, you know, copper is copper. If you take it out uh, of electronics and melt it down, it might be a copper pipe tomorrow. Uh, and, and so that, you know, I think that's probably the, the key message we want to communicate is that, uh, you know, is that the right things are happening with, uh, with this material. We audit that downstream and make sure that, you know, that we know that uh, these, uh, these materials are going to the places we intend them to go. And I guess some of the parts, like you just said, like copper, are more valuable than others. And uh, it, it's interesting the way that works. It is. Uh, I mean, our uh, recently metals uh, prices have been really high, and our our processors love that because there's better return on it for them. But uh, you know, even uh, even things that you you know that that may not seem like they have a lot of value in some instances. There's some there's some high grade plastics that come out of uh, out of electronics. Uh, uh, the HIPS and ABS type plastic uh, are are very reusable. Uh, as as Alan suggested, grind them into pellets, and uh, and there's just a whole horde of things you can turn that into. Uh, 
So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, and, and, I, and I guess one of the other things that, that we might want to touch on, for electronics in particular, you uh, obviously don't want to be uh, reusing your aluminum cans, but, uh, but for electronics, one of the big things we tell people is, you know, if it's, if it's good and it's reusable, um, don't bring it back to us, uh, right? There's lots of good uh, charities uh, or businesses. You could give it. I, I had an old uh, iPad uh, uh, that I gave to my grandson. So uh, you know, we certainly want to encourage folks to reuse their electronics before they bring them back for recycling and really only bring them to us once they've hit that end of life point. Yeah, that's a good point because it, it may be frustrating. The, the laptop or the iPad may be frustrating to you because you can't do what you want to do with it. But if you just reinstall the software from scratch, uh, it could be a good computer for somebody, especially a kid. Absolutely. And, and I think we saw a lot of that with COVID. Uh, you know, really, the, the you know, mom is now home working from home. Uh, and and gets frustrated with her laptop and and buys a new one. She gives it to her daughter, the old one, to her daughter, who now uses it for her online schooling. So you know, it's that kind of thing that uh, we certainly encourage uh, uh, to make sure that you get good life out or use out of the electronics before you bring them back. Right. We're talking to the folks at returnit.ca. Uh, that was Craig Weishart. He's the electronics expert. Alan Langdon, all about uh, returning uh, beverage containers, especially. Uh, over a billion beverage containers are recycled. So that means over a billion beverage containers do not go to the landfill. And just think about that for a second, how much space that would take up uh, in the landfill. So uh, if you want to find out more about this, you can go to returnit.ca and you can find out all the locations. And uh, you have locations, uh, Alan, pretty much uh, across, across the province. Yeah, we have uh, upwards of 170 locations now. Um, so we have um, around 165 of what we call our traditional depots. So um, places where people can bring containers in and, and sort them and then, and then get their money back. Um, more and more, we're transitioning some of those locations to what we call a, um, to give them an express option. Uh, an express is where people can just drop off their containers. So they bring them in unsorted um, after having opened an online account with us. Then they can bring their containers in unsorted in a bag. Um, there'll be a little kiosk they can punch their phone number in and that'll print off a label. They put a label on the bag and then they just drop and go. And so yeah, we found so, that system. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, so it's, it's easier than ever. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk more about the express and go system, as well as, uh, some of the things that you use every day that you might not even know. Uh, involve recycled materials, stuff that uh, has been recycled. And that's when we return on Vancouver Consumer with more with the folks from returnit.ca. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. We're talking all things recycling. And it's not just uh, drink containers, though that is a huge part of what returnit.ca does. They keep over a billion beverage containers out of the landfill, but they also keep a lot of other stuff out of the landfill as well. Electronics, those kind of things. And uh, we were talking to Alan Langdon just before the break about how easy it is now for people to return uh, bottles and cans uh, with the Express and Go and the Return It Express. So explain how people can take advantage of these different systems for recycling their beverage containers. Yeah, so it's all part of one system, our express system, but I'll, I'll just explain, you know, 
quite quickly. So uh, at about um, 80 of our traditional depots and across the province, uh, they have the residents have the ability to use our express system where they sign up for an online account, bring their containers in in a bag unsorted. Uh, at the depot, they can print off a label using a little kiosk. They just punch in their phone number. It prints off a label that attaches that they then put on the bag, and that label attaches the bag of containers to their account. And then they just drop it off. The containers get counted, and then the refund's uploaded to their online account. And then once they have more than $10 in the account, they can redeem any time, and we send them the money via an email money transfer. So we found this uh, much, you know, a lot of people have really gravitated towards this model. It's more convenient, and it's more in line with kind of the the way consumers want to interact with, with all sorts of uh, services, this, you know, these days, they don't want uh, 3 or $4 cash. They just prefer to put in an account, and when they want it, you know, just hit redeem and have the money transferred into their account. So that's worked really well for us. And then as the next evolution of that, trying to create more access for our consumers, we've started establishing self-serve stations we call express and go stations. Uh, so these are reconfigured uh, C canisters. Uh, we put on some doors and some security cameras. And basically, the otherwise, the system's the same. Uh, each account has a PIN code. And so that pin code opens up the door and then they just drop their bag of containers in there with the label on it. And then uh, it follows the same process. So, you know, we've had a couple of these uh, cited in some rural communities like Big White Ski Resort and Tofino have them. And we've also started uh, locating them at uh, retail locations. Uh, so we have one uh, in partnership with Park Royal as well as one at the Real Canadian Superstore in North Vancouver. And we're hoping to add more as we go forward. Because uh, we just see a lot of benefits in terms of making it more convenient for consumers in terms of the process. Uh, but then if we're also able to locate it uh, at places where people are going already to shop, it just makes it even that much more convenient and also offers longer hours. The containers typically operate from 8 to 8. So as you know, so we're going forward, you know, we're really trying to find ways. If we want to increase our recovery rates in BC, it's all about making it as convenient as possible. And we really think with the express system, it's about as convenient as it gets. And and over the last three years, we've been able to increase membership in the program up to 175,000 people. Right. And uh, in my notes, I have the phrase reverse vending machine. And and what what do you define as a reverse vending machine? Yeah. So the other thing we tried to do, especially during the pandemic, you know, we've really been focused um, on trying to make uh, the recycling process contactless. So not having either, you know, not having the uh, staff have to touch containers as much as possible um, and also finding ways for consumers not to have to maybe uh, get in close contact with other people. So um, we've tried, we're in the process of where we can starting to automate our depots. And part of that is reverse vending machines where instead of coming in and sorting your containers and bringing them up and waiting in line and then bringing them to a counter, uh, there's automated machines there and you just put the containers in the machines, count the containers. So you put them in one at a time machine counts the containers. And then when you're done, it, it, um, spits out a receipt and then you can take that receipt either up to the cashier or sometimes they'll have an automatic cash machine, get your money and go. And so that's the next kind of level in terms of trying to provide that added convenience and just a, a more um, consumer friendly experience when they go to depot where they could just get to reverse machine, do it all themselves, get their uh, receipt uh, for the money and then get their money and go. Yeah, it's another example of how uh, technology that sort of works really well because of COVID is not going to go away. It's what people want. Absolutely not. And, and you know, it's often a little bit of a change for people. At first, they're not sure how to work it. And, you know, it's like anything, change can be a little difficult at first. But what we found is after people get used to them, 
they love them and they they just anytime they come to the depot they just want to go straight to the reverse vending machine and just use that they just find it a better experience yeah and you you mentioned earlier that uh recycling rates kind of took a bit of a hit in the in the dark days of COVID and the when it was really new and and why is that is it just that people were staying at home and they weren't getting out and they were afraid to be around people yeah well and, and we had half our depots close you know it wasn't yeah. just people where you know customers or residents were afraid we had business owners who were afraid um you know what's happening and um you know, not sure of whether they could have a lot of people in their depots and what the impacts would be. And so we had a number of them just closed while they tried to figure out what would be going on. And so, you know, anytime you get half your locations closed, even if it's for four to six weeks, it's going to ultimately impact your recovery rate. Um, So, you know, the good news is now all our depots are open. Uh, These new self-serve express and go stations are popular. And so that's providing, you know, even more access. And so, you know, we're hoping to bring more and more of those um, into the fold. And, and so, you know, I think the good news is going forward, there's going to be more options for consumers and there's going to be more convenient options for consumers. I'm here with Alan Langdon, president and CEO at Return It, and Craig Wisehart, executive director at EPRABC. Uh, Craig is uh, sort of a specialist when it comes to electronics. We talked earlier about the kinds of things that can be uh, that can be recycled, all sorts of electronics. Uh, but why don't you run us through? Uh, Alan, explain to us what happens to a plastic bottle, for example, when you when you recycle a plastic bottle. So, what about say somebody brings in an old TV for recycling? What happens to that TV? Yeah, it's uh, it's quite an interesting process to see. Uh, you know, the, as you say, it comes into uh, to the depot. We consolidate it. We take it to our our primary recyclers, and they have sort of a disassembly line. You, know, you talk about uh, reverse vending machines. This is almost reverse manufacturing, is what it is. And uh, televisions, in particular, um, because there are potentially substances of concern in there. You know, you take an old TV set like with the leaded glass. Um, that's one of the reasons that you don't want these things in landfill because those the, the old TV glass had lead in it. And even some of the newer TVs like plasmas and LEDs have mercury bulbs uh, that backlight the screens. So we actually have to hand disassemble those to take out those mercury bulbs and then to take out those picture tubes without breaking them. And then we obviously make sure that that material is sent to proper recyclers and is captured and doesn't go back into the environment. But the, t- the rest of the TV set itself, right, we take the plastic ca- casing off. And again, I talked earlier about some of the more valuable plastics. Usually that is a pretty high-grade plastic. And so a lot of times they'll take that off and separate it from some of the other plastics by type and bundle that off for, uh, for, uh, for resale uh, for that. And then, you know, you think about the, the chassis of the television sets, either going to be made out of aluminum or steel or something like that. Again, both very recyclable elements. Uh, uh, the glass, uh, the non-leaded glass is, is recyclable. And then you get into like the circuit boards and, and that kind of thing. All of that uh, uh, is, that's generally things that we shred. And, and what happens is during that shredding process is the metals get separated from the plastics and the resins, and we're able to, to take that material out uh, uh, you know, copper, and uh, but there's even some precious metal, gold and silver in small quantities in that. But when you're recycling 14,000 metric tons, you can actually get, 
you know, potentially valuable amounts of those uh, those kinds of materials out. And even the cords and things like that, you think about uh, power cords, they're copper wiring. Copper has good value. So, yeah, it's it's that it's that uh, sort of hand disassembly down to the point where we get the material that we need to get to, um, and then we turn that stuff around and put it back in the supply chain. Yeah, and talking about power cords, I think I have a few shoe boxes full of old power cords that aren't good for anything that I have anymore, but I can't throw them away because I might need them. I, I, I totally identify with that. My wife had a, a an old CD player, and we looked at it and like, hmm, what goes in there? And we're like digging through all the boxes trying to find the cord that goes in there. <laughs> and you never find it. But never, we never to, did find it. Nope. <laughs> no, of, of course. It's got the little two holes in it. Yeah. And, and talking about things like mercury and lead, um, I guess that is a real problem if that gets thrown into the garbage. Oh, for sure. You, you, you know, and it's the same with, with uh, I mean, basically the mercury bulbs are like the mercury light bulbs, right? You just don't want those into uh, into landfill because that, that mercury in particular will leach out into the environment. So, uh, yes, you definitely want to capture that. I mean, we take that uh, uh, those bulbs and, uh, and put them in, in big metal drums that are sealed and shipped off to mercury recyclers, people who actually extract the mercury out of there and, and then reuse it. Uh, and the same thing with uh, the, the leaded glass is actually quite interesting uh, uh, because actually all of the uh, the leaded glass that comes out of television sets for most of Western Canada and even the Western U.S. Uh, actually all goes up to uh, uh, the smelter and trail um, where uh, where they do, uh, that, that's where they, they actually smelt the lead out of that glass uh, up there and then turn that back into things like car batteries and whatever else you might use uh, lead for. Yeah, so those new light bulbs, so very important that those get recycled. For sure, yeah. The new, the newest technology, the the LEDs, uh, um, are not hazardous, but the old mercury vapor bulbs uh, that were sort of the second to last generation, uh, uh, those those are very. Uh, it's very important that those get recycled. Mm-hmm. So, um, just really quickly, what's the easiest, simplest way? Uh, you've got an old laptop or something, and you want to recycle it. Uh, and somebody's living in Vancouver. What's what? What do you tell them? Where do they go? I, like I say, I mean, first, the, I guess the first thing I tell them is, uh, hey, if that's reusable, uh, uh, there's lots of good options for you. And, uh, and we outlined some of those earlier. You know, give it, uh, give it to your your kid, uh, uh, or donate it. Uh, any of those kinds of things. But yeah, once it's uh, once it's hit the end, uh, it really is as easy as going on the website, uh, the returnit.ca website, uh, and and you just key in a postal code. And um, generally, uh, you'll you know uh, you'll you'll come up with four or five options. Uh, uh, I, I know I always I don't actually always go to the same uh, collection site. I know where all the ones for my you know in my area are. But I'm thinking, oh, okay, yeah, I've got to go down to you know uh, Home Depot. That there, there's one right next door to them, and that's you know that's the one I'll go to. So uh, yeah, bringing up a list of uh, of the close ones to you kind of gives you the option of uh, fitting it in with some of the rest of your plans. And, and I don't think anybody now thinks that there's a charge involved, but just in case, uh, it's absolutely free to recycle your electronics. Absolutely is, yeah. There, there, there should never be a charge uh, for you bringing electronics back to be recycled. That's correct. 
And how good does it make you feel when you have uh, electronics that is completely dead and, and it's been sitting in your house for so long and you go to the returnit.ca depot and you, you pass it on and recycle it and it, 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 it feels great. There's a really something really good there. The serotonin or something. Happens. I agree. I, I think, and, and like I say, I think that's uh, I, I think that's particularly true in British Columbia. I mean, uh, because we live in such a beautiful place, I think people, you know, are, are very good stewards of the environment. I think they think that way, and and uh, yeah, I I, I think uh, maybe more so than in some other areas, uh, British Columbians get a little bit of an endorphin rush from uh, from bringing <laughs> that uh, that stuff back and making sure that it's handled right. Well, thank you so much, you guys. Craig Weishart, that was Craig, and Alan Langdon from returnit.ca and EPRA. Uh, you can go to returnit.ca on the net and you can find out where you can go to, uh, to recycle everything. You can even recycle uh, wine corks. Uh, I, I just saw that on the website. So, so keep up the good work, you guys, and thank you so much for talking to us this afternoon. Thanks so much, Martin. Appreciate, Appreciate your time. Thanks for right having us on. on. This is Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. I'm Martin Strong. Coming up, uh, Liberal leader Justin Trudeau was just a, uh, he's been on the campaign trail all this past week and, and this weekend, of course. And uh, early in the week, he got pelted with gravel and uh, it caused, uh, you know, a lot of uh, news stories. And uh, he's not the only politician who's ever been pelted with somebody. A lot of it involves pies. But I'll tell you about the history of Canadian politicians being pelted with stuff. That's coming up when Vancouver Consumer continues right after this. I'm Martin Strong. Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer and a big thanks to the folks at returnit.ca. You can go to returnit.ca on the net to find out exactly where you can recycle pretty much anything, whether it's a, a drink container or a piece of electronics. And, uh, you know, maybe an old computer you don't want. And as they say, if it's an old computer and it still has some life in it, uh, you might want to uh, donate it somehow or maybe give it to a little kid or something. Well, Justin Trudeau, uh, on it was last Monday, he had gravel thrown at him uh, as he was confronted by an angry crowd outside a campaign event in London, Ontario. Uh, it seemed to be mostly uh, anti-vaxxers who are upset about vaccine passports. Uh, the Liberal leader called them anti-vaxxer mobs. But it's not the first time a Canadian politician has had stuff thrown at them. Just this past Thursday, a week Thursday, a man cracked an egg on Maxime Bernier's head from the People's Party of Canada uh, asked, after asking for a photo. So they did that thing where they're, they're polite, and then when they get close to the guy, they, they crack, a head over, uh, crack an egg over his head. In 2013... A cup of juice was thrown at then-Toronto Mayor Rob Ford's face at the city's Taste of Little Italy festival. Going back to 2010, Gail Shee, who was the federal fisheries and oceans minister back then, was hit in the face by a pie with a protester who was angry about the seal hunt. And the pie seems to uh, loom large in uh, things that get thrown at politician. Uh, for example, uh, Alberta Premier Ed Stelmack in 2007 was the target of a throne pie, but he had a good uh, security detail. A member of his security guards took a pie for the Premier. 
the pie thrower was convicted of assault and sentenced to 30 days in jail. Alberta Premier Ralph Klein in 2003 hit in the face with a banana cream pie at the Calgary Stampede. Uh, Former Quebec Premier Jean Charest had two pies thrown at him as he campaigned in 2003 in the provincial election in Quebec back then. The pie throwers were actually organized. They were reported to be members of Les Entateurs, the pie throwers, whose stated aim was to deflate the egos they consider self-important. And in 2000, Canadian Alliance leader Stockwell Day uh, was splashed with chocolate milk in Kitchener, Ontario, and members of uh, that same group, um, they hit Liberal leader Stéphane Dion with a pie. And it all kind of comes around because last Monday, it was Justin Trudeau getting hit with gravel. But in 1982, a crowd of hundreds of people threw rocks, eggs, and tomatoes at the vacation train that Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau and his family, including Justin Trudeau, were riding in. And it resulted in one of the windows being smashed. The train had already been pelted by food in Alberta and Manitoba after the Prime Minister had given the middle finger to protesters in Salmon Arm. You might remember that. That happened in uh, nineteen early 1980, and uh, they got pelted in the train in 1982. Well, that's a history of uh, Canadian politicians being pelted with stuff. This is Vancouver Consumer. I'm Martin Strong, and that is it for this edition of Vancouver Consumer. We're here every Saturday, 2 to 4. My thanks to our producer, Jonathan Chung. I'm Martin Strong, and the news is next. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.